This is the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All right, you're going to get a couple of free things right off the bat that don't have anything to do with the sermon whatsoever. Number one, I want to give a shout out to my good friend, Jude Costales, who is watching online right now. Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. He hears that all the time. He's so sick of it. Secondly, isn't it amazing and special and fantastic when the disciples of Jesus come up here on the stage and lead us in worship to him? And I mean that from uh, the youngest of his disciples. I love it when the kids get up. I love to hear uh, Ray. I remember one time I preached out of Revelation and it was all about blood and destruction and death and Reagan was the scripture reader. So I just, yes. So I just, I love that. And of course, that's not to say all of the musicians aren't great too. But when you see the youngest of us that are uh, helping us to worship God, that's really special and powerful. All right, that was all free of charge. And with that uh, singing service that we were led through, I feel like I don't really even need to preach. But I'm going to anyway. But I'm going to do it anyway. So and we've got a lot of material to get through. Uh, I said this in the first service. Most of you probably don't know this, but when I get up here to preach, I usually just have a scrap of paper or a napkin that I wrote three or four points on, uh, and then I'll do 20 or 30 minutes on that material. Today, I have six full pages, six full pages. So buckle up, <laughs> buckle up. So last week, this is one of those things, this is a a picture into how my mind works and the things that I find interesting and peculiar. Last week, Pastor Aaron confessed to us that he grew up in a charismatic style church. He described that movement in general as being emotionally and emotionally driven, lots of emotion around that. And then he went on to preach to us about how Christ renews our rational thinking mind. I am going to confess to you this morning that I grew up in a fundamentalist movement where emotions are illegal. (laughs) They can't be trusted, right? The heart is wicked and deceptive, and who can trust it? And I am going to speak to you today about emotions (laughs) and how Christ renews our hearts, even those pesky little emotions that are there. So we're going to focus our time on the 23rd Psalm. And I'm going to encourage you to do something with me today. And uh, so just kind of give you a heads up. We're going to go through the sermon. There's lots of material there. Uh, We're going to talk about Jesus. Uh, At the end of it, I'm going to lead us through an exercise together. Uh, And so what I want you to do in preparation for all of that is, I know some of you are note takers. I'm a note taker. I like to have my book out and all the things. But what I really want to invite you to do is to be right here right now. Right In this room together, in the presence of God Almighty, experiencing his goodness and greatness as we worship him together. So just really just be here right now. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive right in. 
Father, we uh, thank you for everything that you do for us and all that you provide. And Lord, we pray now as we open your word and we study it, Father, we pray that you would quiet our hearts and our minds, quiet our spirits, attune ourselves to you and the things that you have to say today. We ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate these scriptures to us. And we say these things in Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to start out today with the big idea. This is not a big secret, what I'm about to tell you. This is, it, hopefully this isn't news to you, what I'm about to say. But if it is, hey, you're in the right spot. The big idea today is this. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he renews our hearts. Right? So we've been talking all of this, uh, this past couple of weeks, and we'll continue on in the future here, where Jesus says, and this was kind of the verse that, that kicked this all off, Jesus said in the book of the Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. And the, uh, the film, The Passion of the Christ, anybody ever seen it? You heard of it? There's a scene in there where Jesus is moving down the Via Della Rosa and he's carrying the cross and he falls at one spot and he looks over and he sees his mother. Now, I don't know whether this happened in real life or not, but it happened in the movie and it's a powerful scene. Because he looks to his mother in a very human moment where he makes this connection with her. He says to her something along the lines of, Mom, I'm going to make all things new. And there's this really powerful moment there where it, it, it hit me. I don't know if it hit you guys the same way. You're like, did he really say that in the movie? Yeah, go back and watch it again. It's a really cool scene because it hit me powerfully in the fact that when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, yeah, he died for the sins of the whole world and all of those kinds of things. He, when he said it, was, it is finished, he wasn't talking about, you know, maybe someday down the road or all these kinds of things. He wasn't talking about a part of it. He was talking about all of it. I make all things new. And in the context of the revelation where there's dragons and, and swords and angels and demons and all of that stuff, we think, yeah, he's going to make all of that new and a new Jerusalem's coming down. But when he says, I make all things new he means I make all things new even my emotions even my craziness that goes off in my brain sometimes he makes all of that new and that is what we're going to talk about today and when uh, so here's what Jesus said about himself from John chapter 10 Jesus said this I am the good shepherd the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't know or doesn't own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, Jesus, uh, and we're going to look at this more specifically here in a few moments, but he really does care about us and for us. Uh, he fights off the wolves. You know, we can't, I can't even tell you. That, I don't know why this just came to mind. You guys know John Peretti? Yeah. Speaking of uh, charismatic and all of that kind of stuff. He wrote a book, several of them. <clears throat> but in, in his books, if you don't know, they're fiction books. In his books, though, uh, he personifies all of the things that go in on our lives by showing you the spiritual warfare that's taking place around us that we can't see and that we can't touch and feel, right? And it's Jesus that steps in and, and is, is fending off all of these wolves that we don't even know are coming. 
He's the one that steps in and takes care of all of that. And so uh, he protects us. He feeds us. He fights off the wolves. He knows us. Just like Lindsay said, he knows you better than you know yourself. And that's a good thing because you think you know what you need, but he really knows what you need, right? And isn't that good that he's the good shepherd and he said, I know you and you know me and I'm going to take care of you because I'm not a hired hand. You are mine and I am yours. You see, isn't that good? I could quit right now, but I'm not going to. All right, now we're going to talk about the bad stuff. I want to focus our attention here. We're, I mean, we, you can throw any emotion in the world that you want into this, but I'm going to focus on an emotion that we have all been wrestling with, dealing with for at least a year, if not two, going on to three years, and that's fear and anxiety. When we look here at the 23rd Psalm, uh, actually in, in his positive statements that, and affirmations that we're going to look at more specifically, he's actually pointing to the fear and anxiety that is built up in our lives and the things that can cause that fear and anxiety. And so I want to spend a few minutes here going through all of that stuff that you know in, the, in your mind somewhere, but we want to pinpoint it down so that you can understand that these are some things that cause fear and anxiety. Is this an exhaustive list? No, there's 800 more things that'll cause fear and anxiety. Just watching the news and doom scrolling will cause fear and anxiety. You guys know what doom scrolling is, right? What? You guys know what doom scrolling is? Okay, it's Facebook, uh, Instagram. Uh, you just do. Listen, you guys got to perk up, man. Did you not get coffee? You're the 11 o'clock service. You slept in. Let's go. All right. Here's the bad stuff. Verse number one. This is what the psalm says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. One of the things that causes fear and anxiety is doing without. Now, we live in a society where we've got all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, you can go to the store at three o'clock in the morning and find everything that you need, right? Everyone in this room, I I can't see everybody because it's kind of dark in here, but I'm going to say 99.99% of you are not sleeping in a tent under the bridge. Maybe 100%, right? We live in an affluent society, in an affluent society, and we have all kinds of stuff. But the fear of doing without is real. Remember, there's a whole generation that was raised up during the Great Depression. Anybody here that was raised during the Great Depression? Nobody. Hadley, were you raised in the Great Depression? No. <laughs> no, she wasn't. No. You got to be pretty old. But what happened in, and I'm speaking in generalities here, but what happened with the folks that grew up in the Great Depression is they went without so often that anything that they have, they hold on to every little thing. My uh, uh, mother in law, uh, she used to wash Ziploc bags. How many of you are washing your Ziploc bags? Okay, there's a couple of you. Yeah, they're expensive. I want to hold on to them. I do them two or three times, then I toss them. It's a disposable item, right? Yeah, it's that thought process, though, of doing without. Like, if I get rid of this, oh, I'm going to need it, right? How many of you have a box somewhere that you might need someday, right? That's just, you trip over eight or ten times a year as you never open it. One time, this is really a silly story, but one th- this is true. One time we moved and I found this box and it said uh, desk stuff or something on the side of it. I opened it up. It was literally like we were moving out that day and I just went, 
just all bills that were like 10 years old. We've been carrying this box around for who knows how long, right? Crazy stuff. Doing without. Sometimes that anxiety can be driven by financial difficulties, but also sometimes it can be emotional things, right? I know some folks that want to be married so bad they can taste it, but for whatever reason, God hasn't brought that person into their life. And that's an emotional strain for them, and it can cause fear and anxiety. Perhaps uh, even doing without, like there was a relationship that was broken, and we can talk about that more in a moment here specifically, but all of those things, doing without, both physical but also emotional things. Secondly, verse number two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. It's the normal cycles of life. Sometimes you're in green pastures by still waters and sometimes you're in rough waters next to desert lands, right? And we all experience those times. And even just, not even those things, just thinking about um, different things stages of your life. Uh, I was thinking uh, as I was going through some of this material about a time when, when uh, my boys were young and small, which is a long time ago, and they're definitely not small anymore. And uh, they're giants. You guys were like, well, that's mean. They're all like six something. So um, in those normal life cycles, when, you, when I look back and I think about the house being noisy and Legos all over the place, and uh, I, was, I, I told this story in the first sermon. It wasn't in my notes anywhere, so I'll tell it here too. But I remember one time when Sam was a very young boy, uh, we were sleeping and the house that we had was uh, tile floored throughout uh, and he had fallen off of the bunk bed and I think he landed on his nose, like directly. And he comes running in in the middle of the night, you know, and he's screaming and blood is pouring down his face, you know, and, and you go into full panic mode and all the things that happen. And so you think about those types of times when you're in that life. And now we're in a season where our boys are grown and doing their own thing. And so we don't worry about them too much. And um, we can leave them alone at home and they don't burn the place down mostly, you know, these kinds of things. And, and then there will be a time in our lives where, uh, you know, it'll just be the two of us uh, bouncing around this old empty house. And maybe you're in that stage or maybe you're in the stage where they're the little bitty ones or maybe you're somewhere in between or maybe yours are on the way, right? These are all stages of life. And as you go through those things, that can bring fear and anxiety. I remember when um, I was down here at Fort Lewis where Derek was born and, and they didn't have a nursery. They left the baby in the room with you. And I thought, this is dangerous. Like, you guys just gave me a human. Like, this is a bad idea. Like, I am not prepared for this. I don't know what's happening. And that anxiety can really get to you, right? And in our cycles, as we go through life, you know, like um, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, you know, there's a season for everything. And now you're all thinking of the song by the birds, right? Everybody, we're going to sing it together now. I'm just kidding. We're not going to. To everything. There you go. All right. That's the normal cycle of life, right? And, and that can bring about fear and anxiety. Here's a tough one. Verse number three. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. One of the things that can cause fear and anxiety is our own sin. When we walk away from the Lord, that fear and anxiety can grip us. We may begin to even fear what God will do to us, but also in our own selves where we have decided that we are better than God and we know more than God and I'm not going to listen to him and I'm going to create my own path and I'm going to walk in my own way and I'm going to do my own thing. And in that, we can get gripped by fear and then the decisions that we start making are decisions made in fear, not in love, right? Because he gave us the spirit of love and power, not of fear, 
And so we begin to function in that anxiety. We begin to make decisions, life-altering decisions based on fear. My dad used to say all the time, speaking of life-altering decisions, he used to say, never make a life-altering decision in bad weather. It's good advice. You want to go and you think, hey, I want to move to this location. Go there when they have the worst weather possible. If you can endure it then, you can endure it when the weather is good. Right? That's why I don't live in Alaska. Uh, Alaskans in the room. All right. Our own sin, however, this is what we're talking about. Our own sin can cripple us. And even in the back of our minds when we start thinking about, oh, what is God going to do? What is God going to do? How is, he gonna, how is this going to impact me? And I want to encourage you on one side with this, is that uh, sin is like bowling. I, I said that earlier. Bowling is sin? No, it's bowling is not sin. Bowling abides. I, I'm going to tell the joke twice. It's good. Uh, sin is like bowling. When you get up there, if you're a bowler, any bowlers in the room? Oh, we got to change that. Yeah, we got to change that. When you get up to go bowling, as soon as you let the ball go, you have a pretty good idea of where it's going. It's either going right down the center of the lane and it's going to give a strike or it's headed straight to the gutter or it's going to curve off and do something weird. You have a pretty much a good idea where it's going. So sin is like that. So I'm going to let the ball go and, and immediately I know that's going straight to the gutter, right? And so I can stop and say to the gods of bowling, oh, I'm so sorry that that's going in the gutter. And the gods of bowling can say, I forgive you. But where is the ball going? In the gutter. Sin is like that. You can commit that sin and immediately you know that was a bad idea and say to God, oh God, please forgive me. And he says, I forgive you. But guess what? That sin has consequences and you will deal with the consequences of those sins. And thinking about those things can cause fear and anxiety. Verse number four, the first part. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Death, for a lot of people, the idea of leaving this body causes a lot of fear. Sometimes it's rational. Perhaps you've been diagnosed with a terminal illness and you know that death is coming. Uh, Perhaps you've been in an awful accident and you know that death is coming. A lot of times, though, our fear of death is completely irrational. What if I go outside and get hit by a car? Yeah, what if you just sit at home and watch TV and die? Do you see what I'm saying? You can go anywhere, anytime. But you get up and you live your life all the time, right? And so the fear of death can be crippling. One time, let me tell you a story. I'm, I, 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 let me tell you a story. One time I was surfing. I went down to Sebastian Inlet, which is in uh, Florida's east coast. Uh, it's a world-class surf venue. They have surf competitions there. Uh, we, uh, wife and I were camping. This is in 2003, so it's a long time ago, right? And um, so we went surfing down there, and I got down there, and the waves were about 10 feet tall, which is really good, Uh, and nobody was in the water. I was like, this is perfect. I get this all to myself, right? So I went out there, and I started surfing, Uh, and for those of you that know anything about it, there's a reason nobody's in the water, but um, so I went out there, and I'm surfing, and and, uh, there's a, a jetty there that has a pier that sits on top of it, and um. As I'm surfing along, I wipe out and I come up out of the water one time and I look and I'm really close to the, to the pier. I should, you know, get out of there. So I start moving away from the pier the best I possibly can and I'm struggling against this big surf and I'm right in the break zone and I'm just really fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. And then I hear 
my surfboard hit the pier, which is attached to me by a leash that I know is nine feet long. Ba-boom. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, that's really close. And so I come up out of the water and I look, and from here to the piano, this is a giant pier. And so in that moment, I thought to myself, this is it. This is how the kid buys it. This is how I get to meet Jesus. I'm going to drown right here in this pier. The rest of the story is still standing here. Still standing here. I made it. This drove everybody crazy in the first service. They, everybody came to me. What happened? Were you in a coma for two months? Did you die? Ah. No, I'm not going to tell you. I made it. I made it. I lived. And so, uh, but in that moment, that fear, that anxiety that rose up in me, that was real because that was really happening right then, right at that moment. Here's something else that can cause fear. The second part of verse four, he says, for you're with me. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God's discipline can cause fear and anxiety. You know, uh, these are all these random stories that end up with me in, in imminent peril today. I don't know why this is a new one from the first service, but my mom and dad left and went away. I was 17. It's like the first time they left me at home alone. My dad says to me, I don't want to hear from the police and I don't want to hear from the hospital. Uh, Within two days, I was in the emergency room and a cop called my dad to tell him I was in the hospital. There's real fear of discipline when you have blown it. You following me, right? And so thankfully I had a, a, this is gonna sound weird, but thankfully I had a massive concussion. And by the time he got to me, I, uh, you know, he was so worried about my imminent health that he was like, okay, well, we'll let this one slide. And I didn't get in trouble. But God's discipline, it's there, right? Hebrews chapter 12, uh, when I was in uh, seminary, they called Hebrew chapter 12, God's woodshed. For those of you that are a little bit older, you know woodsheds are where bad things happen and switches and whoopings. And so God disciplines us. The interesting thing about God's discipline, though, is that discipline, we immediately think of correction and instruction when we have done something wrong. But discipline is also the other side of that, where I am teaching and instruction, instructing. When we talk about the rod and the staff, uh, a lot of times we think the rod is for beating and the staff has a big hook and he grabs you by the neck and yanks you over to the side. And sometimes that's true because sometimes we got a head full of rocks, right? We're dumb. That's why he calls us sheep. But sometimes that rod and that staff are to gently guide us back into where he wants us to be, right? But God's discipline, that can cause some anxiety, some fear. Then verse number five says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Another thing that can cause fear and anxiety is relational conflict. When we talk about peacemakers, peace. Uh, keepers. We kind of think about them as the same thing, but they're actually two different things. A peacekeeper is someone that avoids all conflict so that there is peace. A peacemaker is someone that embraces the conflict so that a lasting peace can be brought into place. And so when we think about relational conflict, that can bring a lot of anxiety. What if I confront this person and they are so angry with me or they think that I am so arrogant or whatever it is that they're going to leave me forever? I don't want to have that. That can cause fear and anxiety. Have you ever, uh, you ever been going into a meeting like that 
and you build up all of this crazy fear and anxiety in your own head, like you've run through this entire conversation, like in the shower and in the car on the way over there, and then you confront this person expecting the worst, and they're just like, all right, man, we'll, we'll fix it, right? All of that fear and anxiety, what did that do to you, right? It made this the most impossible thing, and then here this person was just so ready to change and, and make, the, make the adjustments necessary. Do you see how those things can cause us fear and anxiety, But I got good news for you today. We don't have to live in fear and anxiety because Jesus provides the remedy for our fear and anxiety. He is the answer to each and every one of these questions. And so now we're going to talk about the good stuff, right? That was the bad stuff, all the fear and anxiety. Here's what Jesus does for us. Let's go back to verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, because I'm, I don't have to do without because God will supply every one of our needs in Jesus. Here's what Paul wrote to the Philippians. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. The importance about our God supplying all our needs is that we need to understand there's a difference between what I want and what I need. You got to change your wanter to your needer so that your needer doesn't get messed up by your wanter. I just made up a lot of words, but here's what that means. I want a Tesla. God knows I need transportation, and he gave me a Corolla. (laughs) Do you follow me? Sometimes we don't get what we want. Sometimes we get what we need, right? I think the great theologian Mick Jagger said that one time. (laughs) Look it up. All right. Verse number two, he makes me to lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. In the middle of all of those cycles of life and all of those changes and all the things that we go through. And think about all the changes that we've gone through here in the past uh, two years and some change. uh, And the world is totally different than it used to be and all of those things. In all of that, God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission, Jesus said this about himself, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, right? So no matter what we're going through, the ups, the downs, the ins and outs, all of those things, Jesus is right there with us, taking care of us every step of the way. Look at verse number three, he restores my soul. Stop on that for a minute. He restores my soul. It was jacked up, dark, bent, twisted by sin. He restored it. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Hey, Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. For our sake, Paul writes to the Corinthians, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Not because of what I did, but because of what he did. One of the things that God has been showing me recently within the past uh, year or so is a verse that I have known for my entire life. But it really impacted me in this past year as we've been going through all the things that we're going through. And the verse is this. In Romans, Paul writes this. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, that doesn't mean I get to go willy-nilly and do whatever I want. But what it does mean is when I mess up, I don't have to fear going back to him thinking he's going to whoop me. I get to go back to him knowing that he's going to open his arms like the good shepherd father that he is and put his arms around me and love me and forgive me. That gives us a lot of freedom. Again, not freedom to do whatever we want, but freedom to do what he's asked us to do because I don't have to fear and worry because Jesus has paid the penalty for my sin. Verse number four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hey, I got news for you this morning. Jesus has conquered death. Here's what Paul wrote to Timothy. This has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus. Listen, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, here's something that I used to believe when I was a kid. I used to think about it this way. I don't know that I believed it. I thought about it this way. When I die, one of the byproducts of my salvation, I get eternal life when I'm dead I get eternal life. What I realized as I studied scripture myself and the the Holy Spirit illuminated these things to me is that the moment that the Holy Spirit indwells me at the moment of salvation, I am immediately imbued with eternal life and I get to live eternally beginning right now. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus conquered death. We don't have to fear it. Paul wrote and said, to be absent from the body, finish it, is to be present with the Lord. I don't have to fear death. The worst thing that can happen to a human, death, is the best thing that can happen to a Christian. When a human dies that's not a believer, where does he go? Well, we know where he goes. Where does he think he goes? Oh, I don't know. Into the dirt, into the universe, I have no idea. As a believer in Christ, I know exactly what happens to me when I leave this body. And that gives me hope for the future. And it gives me confidence to live today outside of fear and anxiety. Because I know that Jesus has already conquered death. The second part of verse 4. Oof, it's a tough one. God disciplines his children. Hebrews chapter 12 is the old woodshed. Here's what it says. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You know what's really uh, uh, hopeful in all of that to me? I mean, I don't like discipline. You guys like discipline? I don't like it. I talked about food earlier. I'll talk about it again. It's January, right? So we're all eating clean and healthy? Not me. Mm Mm-mm. I said, forget it. I'm not going to fool myself this year. Give me them Cheetos. The thing about discipline is, is that it's not always fun. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a secret. Right? Kale and quinoa and stuff like that, it's not good. It's not. You, you're fooling yourself. Oh, I really like kale. No, you don't. That stuff is awful. Unless it's in that soup at uh, Olive Garden. It's really yummy. No, that stuff's terrible. What's good is donuts and bacon. Yes, fried eggs. These are good things. Now, are they good for you? Probably not. But they're super yummy, right? So you're fooling yourself on those other things. But you know what? If we can can 
understand the discipline, and I'm, I'm being silly with the foods and stuff, but if, listen, if we can understand the discipline that God's bringing us, and sometimes those things are not fun, right? He asks us to do things that maybe is outside of our personal comfort zone, and we have to deal with that, work through that, and go through those things. It's not always fun to do, right? That's discipline. Like when I was in the army and that drill sergeant yelled at me until I made the bed right, that's discipline, right? And then also there's discipline when we blow it, and then you blow it every single day when God comes in and says, hey, straighten up. Do what's right. Follow what I'm telling you. That's God's discipline. But there's hope in that, knowing that he disciplines those that he loves. You know what that means? If you're feeling the discipline of God, you know what that means? He loves you. Isn't that powerful? If he's not disciplining you, ooh, better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Okay. It's the 90s all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. All right. Verse number five. I don't know why they let me up here sometimes. Verse number five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. In Jesus, we have a new commandment to love. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. One of the things about the word love is uh, we think we have a really good grasp on the definition of it and mostly we don't. Love is literally putting the needs of somebody else before yourself. That's the pragmatical definition. I know some of you have read Jane Austen and you are uh, confused about what love is. Love is putting the needs of somebody else first. Jesus put our needs first and went to the cross for us. That's love. Greater love has this than, uh, than a man lays down his life for his friends, right? That's what love is. And so when we think about how Jesus impacts those relational conflicts that come into place, remember he's invited us and empowered us to love one another and sometimes that means having a hard conversation sometimes that means you get to enjoy the good easy times but if we put Jesus in the center of all of those things he's going to make all things new he's going to take care of us all right now here comes the practical stuff that's Jesus Jesus is the answer to the question Here comes the practical practices. I spent a lot of time coming up with those two Ps. I didn't. That was terrible. It was awful. I really spent a lot of time trying to figure out something better to say. I couldn't do it. Practical practices. These are practical practices. I want to talk to you for just a second about practical practices and understand a lot of times when we talk about these things, like read your Bible, pray every day, all of this kind of stuff, we associate that with someone who is uh, spiritually mature. Meaning that, oh, you're spiritually mature because you read the Bible every day. You're spiritually mature because you do this and that and the other thing. And what I'm telling you is is that these practical practices are tools that we use to come in contact with God so that he can do the work in us and he makes us spiritually mature. So it's not the practice itself that makes you spiritually mature. It's the work that God's doing in you. That's my caveat for this. Now, here's five things I want you to do. First... I want you to live in, a, in a, a constant state of gratitude. You want to know how you can get over doing without, being afraid to do without? You want to know how you can get over all those different seasons in your life and all of those kinds of things? Gratitude, man. Gratitude. Be gracious. Be grateful for the things that God has given you. 
there's a lot of people doing with a lot less. You know, I, I don't know why I'm on food today. Maybe I'm hungry. Is it lunchtime? There's a lot of folks that do without food and Americans throw away more food than some countries even have, right? We need to live in, a, in an attitude of gratitude. Secondly, focus on God. When we take our eyes off God, that's when things get bad. Remember Peter, when he was in the boat and Jesus walked out on the water, Peter said, hey, let me come out and walk on the water with you. And Jesus said, yeah, come on, man. And uh, that's in the, uh, the SJV, that's where it says that. Um, Peter jumps out and he walks on the water. And then he starts looking around and he said, oh, these waves are big and there's a pier over there and that's a callback. You'll get it. That's a callback. Yeah. And, and when he started looking around and he started worrying and he, he took his eyes off of Jesus and what happened to him? He started sinking. He started sinking fast. Lord, help me, he said. Right? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Focus on God. In all the stages and areas of your life, all the things that are happening, all of the fear and anxiety, when it wells up inside of you, focus on God. He is there by promise to take care of you. Don't resist the discipline. Mm, That's so tough. Don't resist the discipline. It includes correction, chastisement for wrongdoing, but it's also that gentle course correction. Listen to the voice of God. Listen to where he's asking you to go. Go where he wants you to go. Say what he wants you to say. Do what he wants you to do. Fourth, keep an eternal perspective. Thinking about death and our enemies and all of those things. Man, keep an eternal perspective. Can you remember a time when you were going through something in your life and it was so powerful and so huge and so threatening that you thought this is the end of it. Nothing is ever going to be as bad as this right now. This is the most awful thing ever. And now you look back at it and you're like, why was I so worried about that? It was such a simple little thing. But in the middle of that moment, there was nothing more powerful than that. You know, it's because your eyes were right there. Keep that eternal perspective. Hey, one day, this is all going to be gone. Jesus is going to be in charge, and we get to kick it up on streets of gold, yeah? Keep that eternal perspective. And then finally, I want you to practice silence and solitude. Silence and solitude are an opportunity for us to have a conversation with God. A time when he can quiet the world, our own mind, and our hearts, and we can listen to him speak. Brother Lawrence is a, a, a monk from a really long time ago. I don't know when it was. 1500s or something, I don't know. He went into a monastery, and he was hoping to learn all of this great theological information, and he was going to be the big dog on campus and all of the things. And when he got there, they said, hey, man, we got a garden out here that we need you to take care of and some dishes that need to be washed. He said, hmm, this is not what I was expecting. But then what he learned as he was washing those dishes is that uh, a thing that he calls practicing the presence of God. Uh, Paul wrote and said this, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so he began to, in his labors, washing dishes and taking care of that garden, he began to use his imagination and he began to think about the fact that while I'm here doing this, God is standing right here. So why don't I just take this opportunity to have a conversation with God? And he began to speak to God audibly. People used to walk by and go, yeah, Brother Lawrence has lost it. That guy's talking to the dishes. No, he was talking to God and practicing the presence of God. 
And in doing so, he says this about that practice. He says, I make it my business only to persevere in the holy presence, wherein I keep myself by a simple attention and a general fond regard to God, which I may call an actual presence of God, or to speak better, a habitual, silent, and secret conversation of the soul with God. And so now we're going to do something a little bit different. And some of you are going to be really scared here, but you're going to be okay. I am going to lead all of us through a guided meditation on the 23rd Psalm. And so if you've got something in your hands or on your lap, I want you to set that off to the side. Those of you that are watching at home, I want you to do the same. I want you to plant both of your feet firmly on the ground, flat-footed on the ground. I want you to get comfortable. We're going to do some relaxing here for a moment. Get comfortable. Put your feet on the ground. Put your hands in your lap and just very naturally, not anything forced, just be in a very comfortable position. I want you to now, this is where the scary part comes, I want you to close your eyes. Now I'm going to invite you to take in five deep breaths with me. I want you to go in through your nose and out through your mouth. In through your nose, out through your mouth. In through your nose, out through your mouth. In through your nose, out through your mouth. And I want you to allow your breathing to turn to it, return to its normal rhythm. And I want you to take a moment here and just listen to the sounds of the room. When you become comfortable with those sounds of the room, Many of you have already had thoughts come into your mind about the dinner that's going to come, the game this afternoon. As those thoughts come into your mind, I want you to note them. That's a thought. And let it go right on past. Just let it move right on through. I'm going to read for us the psalm. And then we are going to sit in the presence of God in silence, allowing the Holy Spirit to illuminate His Word into our hearts and minds. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we thank you 
as we share our gratitude for the things that you provide for us. Lord, help us to always walk in an attitude and a spirit of being gracious, grateful for what you've promised to us. Father, help us to always keep our focus and attention on you, to keep you in the very center of our lives. Father, help us to not resist your discipline. Lord, guide us in the direction that we should go. Help us to keep that same perspective that you have, that eternal perspective. Help us to see the world and ourselves and our problems through your eyes. And Lord, as we sit in silence and solitude, Father, we pray that you would speak to us. And now, Lord, as we enter into this time when we celebrate uh, your sacrifice for us, Lord, we just pray that you would, again, quiet our hearts, quiet our minds. Father, make us more like you. Draw us closer to you. And Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.